honor to have you with us. We are in a six-week series, and I'm so excited. We're jumping in to one of my favorite books in all the Bible. Now, James is in the New Testament. It's written by the actual half-brother of Jesus. Very, very powerful book. I remember when I became a believer in Jesus over three decades ago, I, I remember thinking to myself, this book is so practical. Matter of fact, it teaches us such practical things like how to deal with faith and doubt. You ever been there before? You're struggling with doubt and you're trying to reconcile your person of faith. Also this one. How about this one? How to go through trials with grace. How to not become a victim or bitter, but actually grow and get better through that. Here's another one. A little bit today and big time next week. How to deal with this small little thing in your body that either blesses or blows up your world. It's called the tongue. How many of y'all would be honest enough to say, you wish you had back some things that you've said before? Come on, just raise your hand. Hey, listen, James teaches us how to submit our tongue to the power of the Holy Spirit. So I love the book of James. Just for a recap, for those of you that were not here last week, the book of James was written. There's actually two prominent James figures, if I could say it that way, in the New Testament. Number one is James, the brother of John, one of the original 12. That's not the writer of the book of James. So there's James, one of the original 12 apostles, or you'd call them the original disciples of Jesus. This is not the author of James. Actually, that James, the brother of John, one of the first 12, became the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. This James, the one that's the author of the book of James, actually is the half-brother of Jesus, the second pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And the reason why he wrote this, I'll tell you why he wrote it. He wrote this book because he was dealing with, and that church was dealing with, persecution. They were scattering geographically, and they were drifting spiritually. This book helps us, watch this, to get back on track. Now, I want to say this as your pastor. And listen, I've, I've watched the last three years more believers that have drifted. You, by the way, you, you know what it's like to drift, right? I mean, you just, those of you that have been in the water and the beach, you just, all of a sudden, you're just out there playing around and you just kind of look up. Maybe you're with your kids, you look up and you're 300 yards down the beach. By the way, you never set out to drift. Nobody sets out to drift. But it's the currents around you, and there's been so many currents the last three years challenging us in our culture. There's been health challenges, political challenges, racial challenges. There's been so many challenges, theological challenges, where, where people have just, they just, they, they've woken up and like, man, what, what's happened? I've just kind of drifted from church. I've drifted from believers. I've drifted from even, yes, God. The book of James helps us to get us on track, because it deals with the drift, it deals with the struggles. By, by the way, before we jump into the mess, I just want to say this. I, I just thought it's appropriate. You know, I'm, I'm a, my grandma's side, we're, we're Cajun people, we're from Cutoff and South Lafouche, and, and I just thought about Boudreaux, talking about struggles. You know, Boudreaux was a fisherman, and one day, he, he was walking back from the bayou, he, had, he just had a whole, he had two big buckets of fish, and, 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 and a game warden stopped him, and the game warden said to him, said, uh, Boudreaux, he knew, he said, Boudreaux, do you have a fishing license? He says, no, I don't need a fishing license, these are my pet fish. <laughs> Your pet fish, come on, man. These aren't pet fish. No, I'm telling you, every night, 
I put them in this bucket. I bring them down to the bayou. They swim around a little bit. I whistle. They come back. I put them in the bucket. I bring them home. These are my pet fish. He said, I got to see this. They go down to the bayou, and Boudreaux says, now watch. He pours them back into the bayou. They swim around, and the game warden looks at him. He says, all right, now whistle, whistle and get the fish to come back. Boudreaux looks at him and says, what fish? That's not biblical wisdom. That's called Cajun wisdom. Come on. How many know? That's wisdom. Cajun wisdom. <laughs> All right. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up the James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James is in the New Testament. Today, my message is entitled Extraordinary Love. Extraordinary Love. We're actually looking at the second half of James chapter 1, and we're and we're going to learn something because James tasted, by the way, James tasted love, unconditional love. You know there's a difference between the world's love and God's love. You know what the world says? I'll love you if. You know what God says? I love you in spite. It's unconditional. And the reason why James experienced the love of Christ, by the way, it's because James wasn't always a believer. And he saw what happened. After the cross. Matter of fact, this is hard to believe, but Jesus actually had siblings. Did you guys know that? By the way, how would you like to grow up in the house with Jesus? Jesus did his homework. I mean, the guy, I mean, he never said, I mean, he literally had physical siblings. As a matter of fact, his own family, now not his mom, but his own siblings thought he was crazy when he started emerging and doing these miracles they thought man what are you doing john chapter 7 verse 5 watch this the bible says this it says that his own family for even his brothers by the way that includes james they did not believe in him now let me just say this to all of you in every one of our locations this is i think a very important moment here for you to realize just because you give your heart to christ don't think that your whole family is going to be excited about it if they misunderstood jesus they might just misunderstand you stay faithful walk with god and watch what god does in their lives so what happened to james when was he converted i'll tell you when he was converted the bible says so we know that he didn't believe in Je he didn't believe jesus was the messiah after the death of Jesus. By the way, think about this. James's brother was dying on the cross. And guess what? James wasn't there. You know who was there? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And by the way, and John the beloved, John the apostle. Where was James? He wasn't there. Wow, isn't that painful? And, and you, could, you would think, you would think, I mean, just in James's heart, can you imagine after the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I think this is so strategic. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love this. After that, after what? After the resurrection. Everybody say death. Everybody say burial. And everybody say resurrection. After the resurrection of Christ, who do you think Jesus showed up to present himself to in his family? I tell you it was. Look at the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. After that, he was seen by, come on everyone, James. James, the half brother of Jesus, his sibling. And then by all the apostles. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you who James saw that day? He saw the love of Christ. 
He saw the love of Jesus. Let me tell you something. He saw unconditional love. He didn't see judgment. He didn't hear, let me tell you something. Oh, you didn't believe in me then. You believe in me now. No, he didn't, he didn't hear that at all. He, he, he didn't hear condemnation. He didn't hear shame. He heard, he heard an, 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 an embrace. By the way, I'll never forget when I gave my heart to Christ. I, I went to that Bible study, October 27, 1987. I was a freshman at Tulane University. Two thoughts went through my mind. Two girls invited me. Thought number one, I'd sin too much. God won't forgive me. You ever been there before? I, I'd, I'd sin too much. Here's my second thought, that I had to change first and then present myself to God. Can I tell you something? You don't change first and then come to God. You come to God just as you are. He's the one that changes you. If you could change, you didn't need Christ. Are you with me? He's the one that changes us. I, I experienced the love of Christ that day. James experienced the love of Christ that day. And because James experienced the unconditional love of God, he's able to equip these first century believers. Today I want to talk to you about extraordinary love. What does extraordinary love look like? emanating and coming out of the heart of the believer. Not human love, but the love of God that we receive from God and that we give to others. James chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to read about it right here. Here we go. Four principles for walking in love. Principle number one, extraordinary love. James would say, it listens. James chapter 1, verse 19. This is so powerful. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, let every woman be swift to hear and slow to speak. Isn't it interesting that God gives us two ears and one mouth? Maybe, maybe. Let me posit this thought. Maybe it's because God wants us to watch this. Listen twice as much as we're talking. These early believers had been scattered geographically. They were drifting spiritually. And one of the things that happens when you get under pressure one of the things that happens in our, in our relationships, interdependent relationships, our interpersonal relationships, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's a close coworker, a friend, you know what happens when we start running fast, we come under pressure, we, we get hit with this what's called fight or flight syndrome. We over-adrenalize. Let me tell you what, when you over-adrenalize, you get ramped up. Let me tell you what happens. When you get adrenalized up, your hearing goes down. You quit listening. Quit listening to those that are closest to you. You're in conflict. You're dealing with things. Interesting research shows that when people are facing anxiety, actually their listening skills deteriorate. Our ability to truly listen, to truly understand. People, you guys know that. All of us know that. The greatest, one of the greatest needs that we have is a need to be understood. And often the way that we can be understood is when somebody from a heart level listens to us. We, we, we love counseling. We, we advocate Christian counsel. We have great spirit-filled counselors that we recommend that are professional counselors. And we have a whole menu of, uh, of options in our church that, that we, so we recommend. But can I tell you, and this is not to decry or demean or diminish at any level professional counseling, because they're very skilled, the ones that are good, and they can really help people. But part of the issue with a good counselor is that that person finally can sit contextually across from somebody and talk, and that counselor does what? They listen. Listen, how many times have you been in a conversation? How many times have I been in a conversation with my wife? An intense conversation. 
And the truth is, the reality is, I'm not proud of this. But I'm already thinking of my response even when she's not even halfway finished her words. James says, be swift to hear, quick to hear, and slow to speak. I wonder if the, if the rapid nature of, of them scattering and, and the drifting aspect of their I wonder, I wonder how much James was thinking about Acts chapter 242 when, when, when these first century believers were gathering. The Bible says daily from house to house. By the way, that's why small groups is so important. That sense of community, that sense of connection where you can pour out your heart and people will listen to you. Uh, James was, was, was throwing a life rope out. Here's what he was saying over and over and over. He was saying, he said, be, be swift to hear, listen. I'd like to ask you, maybe, maybe your current relationships are not thriving. They're not growing. You're great as a talker, if I can say it that way. But you're, you're not doing well listening. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 15. I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes it's not the advice that we give. Oftentimes it's not the advice we give. It's the ear that we lend. I, I love Pastor Chuck Swindoll. He's a hero of mine. And, uh, he's 88, still preaching he's in North Dallas. And read his books. They're great stuff. And, and, and I remember reading one time that, where he found himself with too many commitments and too many things in his life. And he saw himself being short with his wife and his four children. And, and uh, he distinctly noted one time that after supper, his youngest child, his daughter, Colleen wanted to tell him something important, and, and he got into this mode, and maybe you've been there. I know I've found myself before where, hey, I'm, I'm moving quick, and, and, and it's not that my love is diminished, but my listening is diminished, which communicates a diminished love to the receiver. Even though in my heart I love my child, I love this person, but, but if I'm not listening, it communicates. It communicates devaluing in that moment. And when he looked at Colleen... She wanted to tell him something important that had happened to her at school that day. And she began to hurriedly say, Daddy, I, I, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you something. And Daddy, I promise you, I'm going to tell you real fast. Suddenly realizing her frustration, he answered, said, Honey, I can tell you, you don't have to tell me real fast. I, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. You can say it slowly. And then she said, I'll say it slowly, but you've got to promise to listen slowly. How many times have we injured a primal relationship in our life, albeit a child or a loved one, because we're not listening? James says, be swift to listen and slow to speak. Number two, the second thing that we see here is extraordinary love speaks careful, healing words. James 1, 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He amps it up here. He says, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you realize how much strife we could eliminate from our lives if we made the quality decision to return? Watch this. To return when we receive painful words, if we return with a gracious reply. How many times in our lives, how many times in my life, when somebody has said something to me, it's hurt me, I've responded inappropriately, I'll say this as a pastor. I'm not looking for sympathy with this, but you can imagine, one could imagine. Can I say that? 
Let me use a different person. Not, maybe not you, but one could imagine somebody else could imagine that a pastor, you, 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 we don't just get fan mail. Pastor, you're amazing. There's some of those, but there's a lot of pastor boom, pastor this, pastor this. And so, you know, see, I'm a human being. I'm a Christian. I'm a human being. And, and, and one time I was shaking hands with somebody. Matter of fact, my wife was with me and, and this guy came up to me and he said something to me. And I'm not suggesting that his motive was incorrect or he was trying to hurt me. But I will say what he said was very sharp and it just went boom right to the point. Now, he made a grave mistake. He didn't realize I played football for John Curtis. Come on, somebody. Okay, I didn't do anything. I didn't tackle him. But it hit me wrong. And when it hit me, I went boom right back at it. And quite honestly, it blew him out of the water. And my wife, of course, she was holding my hands. She was holding my hand. And it wasn't a love squeeze. <laughs> like, I'm precious. It was more a wrath squeeze. You know what I'm talking about? And I realized, ooh, I crossed the line. And I could see on his face. Boy, I really hurt him. Now, 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 let me tell you what I've learned. I've been walking with Jesus for a while, and I've been in this, on this earth for a little while. Here's what I found, and you guys have heard this before. Hurt people, they hurt people. We know that, right? Cognitively, we know that, but why is it we often don't realize and remember that? Let me tell you another one. Where there's often heat, there's often hurt underneath it. You ever seen when somebody's reaction just doesn't, it's almost like their reaction doesn't fit the crime. They get like so, it's like, whoa, what's going on? There's something going on underneath them. And can I tell you, these first century believers, because they're being persecuted, they're under pressure. They're, remember what I said, when stress and pressure come, there's a tendency for us to not just act, but to overreact. Look, listen to what the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 15.1. I love this. It says, a soft answer turns away what? Come on, say it. Wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Can I tell you one of the things that are, and let me use myself, my overreaction is done at times. It's actually, it's actually disallowed the Holy Spirit to really bring conviction to the heart of that person that just said that awful thing to me. In other words, when you react, it actually hinders the Holy Spirit talking to that person because now it becomes you against them versus them against and, and having to deal with the Holy Spirit. I remember one time I was in an argument with my wife. We don't fight. We just get in healthy discussions. And I remember one time, and you, you guys have heard this. I think I've said this before. And I never forget, we'd married a couple years, and she, and she goes, you know what you needed? I said, what? She goes, you just needed to go pray about it, big boy Christian. <laughs> and I went, leave God out of this. You know, and I said, I'm just thinking, all right, I'll do that. And I thought to myself, this is the second woman that sent me to my room. My, my mom was first, you know what I'm saying? I thought, I don't like this at all. So what do you think I did? Went and prayed about it. But anyway... When we react, can I tell you something? We actually make it tough sometimes for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to that person. Everybody say, a soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of y'all 
And I'm asking every location, those that are joining us online, how, how many of y'all would be honest enough to say, Pastor Steve, there have been times in my life where I've said something, oh, I wish that I could have taken it back. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Every single one of us, it would apply. Proverbs chapter 25, 11, like apples of gold and settings of silver, is a word spoken at the proper time. Our words can be a beautiful gift. A gift. Healing words. James would say, number one, if we want to walk out this extraordinary love, number one, we've got to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Number two, we've got to learn by the grace of God to respond differently. Number three, extraordinary love produces obedience. James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Pastor, is self-deception possible? According to the Bible, it is. Pastor Steve, how, how does somebody live in self-deception? That's heavy words, isn't it? Deceptions. Deception. It's like heavy. And yet, the Bible gives us a specific recipe for how someone walks in deception. Here it is. You guys ready? Here it is. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, somebody that is a hearer but not a doer, if you hear long enough without doing and applying it, the Bible actually says we can deceive ourselves. So in other words, when somebody's behavior doesn't line up with their belief, it's belief first, it's heart first, it's inside first, but at some point in time, what you believe on the inside, it's got to work its way on the outside. At some point in time. It's not just the hearer of the word, but it's the doer of the word of God. It's the doer of the word. That's why accountability and being connected and other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ and having prayer partners and being in a small group and, hey, I want to walk, I want to grow. That's why it's like sometimes the greatest way to start working out is to have a trainer. Why? Because they do it for you? No, but they meet you there to make sure you show up. Sometimes it's important to have somebody walking with you. I thank God for the men that have walked with me to make sure that I'm not just hearing, but I'm doing. I'm not just reading, but I'm applying. James chapter 1, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In this word picture, James is addressing when our actions don't line up with our beliefs. There's an incongruency. We all experience that at times. The goal is, listen, the goal is when we, what we believe and how we behave. The goal is that we can connect our belief and our behavior. The goal is spiritual maturity is evidenced by when God speaks to us, how long does it take us to obey? We, 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 we watch this. We want to go this way. In other words, God speaks, we obey. God says, you forgive, forgive that person. And you say, God, if they forgive me first, okay, that's way out here. If God says, share Christ with your friend, and listen, we're way out here. In other words, spiritual maturity is getting our, our hearing and our obeying real close. That's what James says. Because we don't want to live in self-deception. Now, why is it that sometimes we don't obey? 
myself included. Well, sometimes it's because we, we're in a hurry, right? God's speaking to us. Man, we're, 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 we've got the Bible and we're opening it up. And rather than uncovering God's voice off of every page of this book, we're so busy and we skim it and we're like, we got to go. We're so busy. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. He said, I have so much to do today. I must spend extra time in prayer. Is that where you are? Or are we so busy that if God even wanted to get our attention, it'd be real hard. I mean, he'd have to, like, he'd have to rent out a billboard on the interstate. I'm talking to you. Sometimes it's because we feel we can't live up to God's standards. Maybe that's where you are. I read something in the Word of God. I can't, I can't live up to that. And so rather than, I mean, people only try things and fail so long, they just can quit sometimes. Maybe you feel like, well, I just can't do it. I can't live up to God's standards. I can't, do, I can't walk this Christian life. I, I just can't do this. And, and, and yet they fail to understand a major aspect of Christianity. By the way, you know that bumper sticker it says, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven? You, you know that? Now, if you have that, don't judge me with this statement. I like the bumper sticker, but it is so utterly incomplete. Christians are not just forgiven. We're also empowered daily by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out and to walk the Word of God and to live out obedience to Christ. We're not just forgiven. You're forgiven. Try again harder tomorrow. You're forgiven. Try again harder tomorrow. That's half of the gospel. The other side of the gospel is that the resurrected Christ lives on the inside of you, giving you power to actually fulfill the will of God for your life. It's not just I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven and transformed. Why? Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. You, you can't live the Christian. You know how hard it is to live the Christian life when you're not a Christian? It's hard. It's arduous. But when you're born again, you're not just forgiven. Christ comes to live on the inside of you. It's the resurrected Christ. It's his spirit. You're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it this way. When you become a Christian, let me tell you what. Sometimes people are like, well, as a Christian, you know, I used to preach to teenagers all the time, right? And they always want to know, what can I do and still be right with God? Can I do this? Can I do this with my boyfriend? Can I do this with my girlfriend? You know, I have a friend, and they did this, and it's really them. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what a low Christian existence. If we're always evaluating what I can do and still God be okay with me. Can, can I tell you what Christianity is about? It's not about what I can and can't do. It, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about my want to has changed. When you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, you want to. I want to obey God. I want to grow in God. I want to let the light of Christ shine. In other words, it's your want to changes. By the way, I'm not talking about sinlessness and perfection. Matter of fact, if you've got big sin issues and patterns and addictions in your life, I will tell you, there's a new want to in you to fight according to God's power against that that is trying to keep you underwater. Your want to. Everybody say want to. Your want-to's change. So it's not just hearing, but obeying. But you can't obey in your own strength. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why on a daily basis, you need to cry out to God. Oh, God, give me the power. Fill me afresh with your power today, God. Amen. I can't do this. I can't do this Christian life in my own strength. It's not Christian. I'm going to write a book one day called White Knuckle Christianity. Whoa, it's hard to just knuckle it and stay strong. How did you get saved? You surrendered to Christ. How do you live it every day? You surrender to the power of Christ. Every day, God, I can't live this life without your grace and your power on the inside of me. 
Pastor, you're real passionate about this. Yeah, because I don't like seeing defeated Christians that are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. I'm sorry. Fourth point, then we shall conclude. <laughs> Beloved. I, I, I have such a strong conviction because I've heard so many people say it didn't work. No, it, it works. It's called a relationship with the living Christ on the inside of you. Don't tell me, it does, don't tell me that. Either you weren't born again or you don't know how to draw upon the power of God on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about a trouble-free, carefree Christianity. I'm not talking about that. That's a misnomer. That's a utopian existence. That doesn't work. But you have power. To walk with Christ, to live with Christ and his power. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, fourth point and I'll close. Number four, extraordinary love leads to extraordinary actions. James chapter one, verse 26. I love the word of God. It's clean. It corrects our thinking. It corrects, it empowers our living. It energizes us. If anyone amongst you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Before I was a Christian, I really, I, my mouth was so foul. After I got born again, the Holy Spirit started dealing with my mouth. There were some things instantly boom, removed out of my, my speech. And as I've grown in Christ... There's times when the Holy Spirit can be not good. By the way, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm, but I'm not where I used to be. That's called Christian growth. That, that's called sanctification. It's a big, big theological term. It's okay. We, we, the issue is not where you are. It's where you've come from. And are you moving and growing in Christ? Are you allowing Christ to be formed in you? It reminds me of a story. By the way, I put this in the devotional. I want to say this. Please get a devotional. If you don't have the money, we'll give you one. We want everybody, and I, and I put this in the devotionals, a story about the Welsh revival. Talk about the power of the tongue. It's taken from this scripture. The well, in Wales, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 1904, there was a young minister named Evan Roberts, and God used him. Their great saying there was, bend me, O God. Bend me, O God. Change me, O God. And there was... As those of you that know the topography and the geography of Wales, there were coal mines. And, of course, there was an energy source. And it was really important. And they had mules. And there were so many people that got born again during this revival. History records this. That the mules that were co-laborers with the coal miners in this, in this coal processing thing, the, the coal miners were so transformed by Christ they quit cursing. And the mules were actually confused because they were trained with such curse words, they weren't even sure what to do. Now, if you don't believe me, go look on the internet because everything's true on the internet. <laughs> I'm really not joking about this. It's a historical fact. It's written. Pastor, are you saying that Christianity is about behavior? Here's what I'm saying. It's first about belief in Christ living in you, but at some point in time, it's got to work its way into your tongue, into your thoughts, into your lifestyle, into your choices, into your decisions. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Here's the key. 
Biblical Christianity is not just, watch this, it's not just talk, but it's also your walk. It's, it's, you're transformed on the inside, but that inside transformation's got to work its way on the outside. Can I tell you something? When your want-tos change, number one, I want to serve God, but number two, you also want to serve your fellow man. That's, that, that's part of walking out the Christian life. And by the way, the compassion gaps in culture have always been met by Christian people. Whether it's hospitals and orphanages. I was born in Methodist hospitals. Some of you were born in Baptist hospital or some Catholic hospitals. You're, you're, the, the Christian faith, there's always been, there's always been, I'm telling you, there's all Christians, whether it's orphanages and schools, they've always filled the compassion gaps in culture. Why? Because our want to's changed. Last scripture, James chapter 2, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Pastor Steve, what are you saying? Don't miss me, misunderstand me. On every location, those that are online, I've got two minutes. Listen to these words very importantly. Good works do not save you. I want to be clear. The Bible's clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace... You've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of what? Everybody say it. Works. Lest anyone should boast. Our works, in other words, you can't help enough poor people to make you right with God. Let me say it this way. Good works are not our pathway to salvation. Good works are the proof of our salvation. Did, did everybody see that? Let me, let me say it again. All right, lean in right here. Good works are not our pathway. If I do enough good things, I'll be right with God. No, 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 no. You've heard people say that. Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. How do you know? Well, you know, I hope I've helped enough people. I get up to heaven. You know, one day God's going to go, nah, you helped a poor person. Yeah, but you said some bad things. Yeah, yeah. How many of you know salvation is not about the equivalency scale of your weighing out good versus bad? Good works are not the path to salvation. They're the proof of salvation. That you've been transformed by Christ. That your want to's changed. That your want to's changed on the inside. So here's what we've learned today. James met Christ after the resurrection. And he was transformed. And listen. He received extraordinary love. Have you received extraordinary love? Have you received Christ? The only one that can love you. Greater than a human love is the love of Christ. Human love is great, but greater than that. And when you have, number one, you'll listen more than you'll talk with those that you love. Listen. Number two, you'll respond differently. Number three, your believing and your behaving will get really close. And number four, can I say this? There'll be a demonstration. You know what this world needs to see? They need to see Christ living through his church. That's you and me that walk with Christ, that trust Christ. And we're not perfect people. Trust me. I talk to you all the time about my shortcomings. But it's Christ in us that believe in Jesus. The world desperately needs to see followers of Christ that have the power of Christ living through them. Matter of fact, I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Every one of our locations. Those of you that are joining us online, I just want to just ask you. Straight up, do you know Jesus? Do you know that you know if you die today that you're ready to stand before God? Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What do you need to believe? You need to believe the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. You need to believe that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
I've sinned, you've sinned, and we need, we need Christ to not only forgive us of our sin, but then to give us the gift of his spirit. Do you know that you know if you die today? You're ready. Are you at peace with God? With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. If that's you, at the count of three, every one of our locations and those that are joining us online, if you're able to do this and you can let your host know, the count of three, I want you just to lift your hand up high. Can you do that? I need Christ. One, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. God bless you, ma'am, right there. God bless you and you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? God bless you right here. God bless you and you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you up top, buddy. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Wow. It's awesome. God bless you way up top. It's way up top. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is moving right now. His presence is here. He's not mad at you. He wants to save people, love people. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, and I'm going to ask our campus pastor to come on stage right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us all together. Can we pray this together as a church, corporately across all of our campuses? Come on, let's pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say this. Say, Jesus, wash with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life a new reason to live. I want you to say this, say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. From this day forward, I belong to you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sealing work of your spirit. I thank you for the word of the living God going deep, deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an amazing message. And if you just made a decision to follow Christ, we wanna say congratulations. We are so proud of you. And now this is the best decision that you will ever make. Yes, absolutely. And if you are making that decision to follow Christ, we just wanna encourage you that the Bible says that you are a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come and that you can live this life free of sin and shame from your past because God has forgiven you and set you on a new path. And we just wanna celebrate with you because that's a big deal. Yes, and there's gonna be a link that pops up on the screen or in the chat. Click that link because this is full of resources that are gonna help you walk out your new life with Christ. And now this is just a way that we can get to know you. We wanna hear your story and get to know you. Absolutely. And hey, I, real quick, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I just want to encourage you and maybe lovingly nudge you to put a little bit more weight on the bar. Engage in small groups, engage in church life, engage in discipleship, because that is the true extraordinary life that Christ has for you and I. And we're just so excited for this series as we continue in the book of James talking about that extraordinary life. We love all of you guys. We'll see you here. Same time. Same place. Have a great week.